0: Welcome back to the horrors.
1: Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Shay. And here we are. We are back. Episode five?
0: Yes, episode five. That's incredible. I know. Wow. Wowie, wow, wow, wow. So, how was your weekend?
1: It was okay. I don't remember. Oh, it was actually not that great. I saw you this weekend. <laughs> you did, yes. Well, I saw you at the beginning of the weekend. I always have such high hopes for the weekend at the top. But then I just struggle, you know, to to to
0: With a tutu? Yes. You struggle with a tutu?
1: Yes, essentially, I do. No, I just, I always feel like at the end of the weekend, I feel one of two ways. One, that I spent too much time in. My apartment not doing much, not taking advantage of the weekend, or two that I spent not enough time doing that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like I either feel like I I didn't take advantage of the weekend, or I took too much advantage of the weekend. And anyway, I mean, here I am. Am I, can you even understand what
0: I'm saying? Hello? Am I crazy? I don't you know think you're saying? crazy. So, what, <laughs> what weekend was this? Did you take too much advantage of the weekend? I
1: think that I, I spent a lot of Saturdays sleeping and then just it wasn't great, you know? I just, and I think that it's, I can feel daylight savings is upon us and it's going to get dark outside. So, I think I'm just feeling, The bad side of autumn, and I love everything that has to do with fall. But I think sometimes the darkness and the cold starts to sink in, and before I'm used to it, it just kind of hits different.
0: Well, that and the going out isn't even encouraged at this point. (sighs) We're about to enter another time where gatherings are probably going to be limited, and I mean, we're all supposed to be staying inside to begin with, but those gatherings that those of us have been doing, even in small groups, are probably going to be a little bit more risky just due to COVID. So yeah, I think it's getting dark everywhere.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It sucks being in your 20s. It sucks being any age during a pandemic, for sure. But I I just feel like I miss going out. I miss the possibilities of the evening. I miss the bars. So I guess, you know what? I think I was just feeling a little sorry for myself this weekend. And you know what? That's okay. I did it. It's over now. And I'm going to try to move on. I feel better having talked about it. I guess I really wasn't talking about it. How about you? Where are you at? What are you feeling?
0: Well, I got an artifact to remember 2020 by <gasps> this weekend that I want you to live react to. Oh. So there is a brewery in my hometown that they usually have. Obviously, this is a great time of year for brew fests and, you know, outdoor type of public drinking events. And obviously they weren't able to do that in a capacity that was safe or responsible, but they decided to launch merchandise as a way to get revenue still or replace the revenue they would have gotten and it's one of my favorite things ever oh my gosh as a horror fan but I don't know that you'll know who all of these people are but essentially for those listening I'm holding up a zipped hoodie and on the back there is a design that Elise is going to be <gasps> oh reacting. oh <to. laughs> my gosh what are they seeing
1: Oh, my gosh. I'm seeing so many monsters. Okay. I definitely see Freddy Krueger. I see that clown from It. I see that guy with a lot of pins in his face. Pinhead. Oh, appropriately <laughs> named. I see... Oh, oh, oh. Is that God, the guy from Chainsaw Massacre?
0: Um, Who's that? That is Jason. That, that's Jason. Fr- that's Friday, oh, Friday the, the 13th. 13th.
1: And then this guy from that Alien movie, right? Um,
0: That is Alien. That oh, is, I didn't even see that up here. Ew. Yeah, that's The Predator. Oh. <gasps> And that is Leatherface from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, down
1: here. oh, but really, this is so you. So
0: it's a bunch of, <laughs> it's a bunch of horror icons, but what do they all have on their face, Elise? Oh my God,
1: masks! they're
0: all wearing masks. Oh my God.
1: They are all like duct tape masks, except for the Predator or what's this up here? The Xenomorph. <laughs> oh God. Okay. Well, he does not have a mask. His mouth is Wait, no, no, wide no. open what is that a hand
0: no the, the idea of the xenomorph is they have a, an extra head that comes out of the back of their throat <gasps> oh! so it's got a baby mask on it oh i do i do see that
1: now oh my gosh i am so i don't know anything about anything
0: <laughs> i feel like this this segment would have transferred a little bit better to video and have elise what are the names of these horror icons <laughs> and she's like oh uh, uh, uh. <laughs> oh my god
1: i thought i did okay maybe i was like 40 percent
0: No, no, no. You hit like about, yeah, half at bat, I would say. But as a horror fan, absolutely. It was something that I saw and I knew I had to get. And I'm not really one to get items that are like trendy or that speak too specifically of a time, but something about all of these creepy, crawly, terrifying murderers. Also being considerate in wearing their masks (laughs) while they're doing the killing was so hilarious to me. Everyone wear your mask, please. Yes, absolutely. However, something that was not present on the back of this hoodie was a werewolf or a lycanthrope. And that's what we're talking about
1: today. That's exactly what we're talking
0: about today.
1: So Ginger Snaps, the 2000 cult classic.
0: Have you heard of this before prior to your watching of this with me this weekend? No. I never heard of it before. Are you happy to know it
1: now? I am. I really enjoyed it. It did not go the way I thought it was going to go, which I think is something that I respect about it. I think often in my experience with horror, things seem predictable, but this was not predictable to me. I mean, some elements were, but the ultimate ending was not. So even though it kind of fucked me up a little bit, I respect that. I respect the not knowing and the movie as a whole. It was good.
0: Also, it's hilarious. It
1: made me laugh some of the dialogue i wanted tattooed on my body
0: I just, <laughs> there are so many good one-liners in this the
1: whole time i was taking notes i felt like i was just taking down quotes we would pause the movie and i would stop and oh my gosh but we'll read some of them to you as we go through our notes today but <laughs> it was, it's
0: good So for those of you who have not seen Ginger Snaps, like Elise said, it is from the year 2000 and is a Canadian film about a pair of sisters that are in high school and one of them gets bitten by what they refer to as a lycanthrope, as what we know as a werewolf, around the same time that she starts going through puberty and getting her period. But Ginger Snaps really draws a great parallel between folks that are menstruating and also the experience of growing up as a teenager, if you identify as a lady. Oh, it's a wild ride. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot of really interesting parallels and metaphors and themes in this about how the one sister is trying to save the other sister before she completely transforms into a monster. So I know this was the
1: first time I saw it when we watched it together, but you had seen it before. Oh, absolutely. This is one
0: of my favorites.
1: Do you remember the first time you saw it? How old you were and your thoughts?
0: Have they changed over time? It's funny because I think I saw this close to like 2010, around there, during a time where I was kind of dealing with these things on my own. And my sister is also a huge horror fan. And her name is also Bridget. And that's the name of this little sister in this film. So I remember her and I watching this together. And it was always just one of those films that was on sci fi or one of the upper channels around Halloween time, we would always just end up watching it every couple of years. But I just loved the angst in it. I loved the vibe that these two sisters had, they felt very relatable, in some ways, not some other ways. But yeah, I just remember it being super entertaining, super funny, really maintaining that early 2000s comedy that it embodies, but not so much in a way where it's over the top or that it's too cheesy, like something like Idle Hands might be Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. this is funny, but I still think it maintains its edge a little bit. Yeah, I definitely think that this maintains an edge for sure. So in terms of the ladies we're talking about, we really open up with the two sisters. So we have Ginger. Ginger who is 16, and Bridget, who is 15, and we open up to a great montage. Okay, so,
1: (laughs) they are fascinated with death, and we learn early on that they've made a pact with one another that if one should die... Then the other would die too. Or then they would die together. They would die together. Somehow, whether at the same time or whatever in some sequence, but they would die together. They're very close. And they're working on a project for class and they're taking photos of all these different ways that they could die. (laughs) So we see like we see them with all of this makeup on, this fake blood, pretending they were impaled by a white picket fence or that they
0: got crushed by the garage door. These sisters hate suburbia. They yes. hate their hometown. So, And that's what's funny about a lot of these photos is, like Elise said, there's all the symbolism around homeliness and neighborhoods. So you see the white picket fence. You see one getting run over by a lawnmower. Mm-hmm. You see someone taking pills in the bathroom. And again, these photos aren't funny. They're gruesome by design, and they're backed by this really dark filter and dramatic music that, that they look like almost autopsy photos. But with the lead up that we get of how much these sisters resent everybody (laughs) and everything except each other, it is just so try hard Mm -hmm. and hilarious. Mm -hmm. Just
1: the lengths that they're willing to go to take these pictures and prove their angst. I love it. There's something about it that's just great.
0: And prior to this, we find out that there is... A monster afoot that is killing dogs in the neighborhood.
1: Yeah, and that's a super brief opener. A poor
0: mother finds her son playing with their dog's severed paw. Yeah, and then we are introduced to Bridget and Ginger, and then there's the photo montage. And all of this is important to know that there's essentially a monster that is terrorizing their happy little town. Yes. So we open into a classroom scene where... The teacher is obviously disgusted by the photos that the girls have taken. Oh, and this is also where we meet Jason. And Jason is a boy that has a crush on Ginger, but not in a cute, endearing way. In a, hey, I'm your daddy kind of way. I'm pretty sure at one point he does say something about being her daddy. He, yeah, he says daddy a lot. Yeah, Very uncomfortable. It's made ahead me of its laugh. Time. Yeah,
1: I was gonna say! I was gonna say! Everyone's calling everybody daddy nowadays. And here we are. Ginger snaps in the year 2000. They saw it coming.
0: Yeah. So essentially in the classroom scene, the teacher's very disgusted, is kind of berating Ginger and Bridget. And Jason goes, can you show the one of Ginger again? And you get two distinct frames after that. One is Bridget looking absolutely disgusted. And Bridget's the younger sister and one of Ginger looking uncomfortable, but curious. Mm-hmm. You could tell from the beginning that she's kind of starting to like the attention that Jason is giving her.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they're in the same class. And we learn this a little later, because Bridget is super smart and skipped a grade. So she is younger, but they're in the same grade level. So they have the same classes and
0: whatnot. This also is going to track back to a theme throughout the movie that Bridget doesn't really seem to have an identity outside of Ginger very much. Mm. Like even to the point that they can't even be separated in school like Bridget studied and tried really hard to skip a grade so she could take all of her classes with her sister and that they could Mm. be in classes together and be by each other's side. Because I think in the beginning, I thought they were just fraternal twins or something. That's what I thought too. But no, there is definitely... Even if it's a slight age difference, the age difference becomes significant in the dynamic and insignificant in what ends up separating them based on what Ginger starts going through.
1: And isn't that something that's characteristic of a final girl? I feel like the final girls that we've seen or talked about are traditionally book smart. And so here we have Bridget. Is she our final girl? She seems like it. The final girl is
0: also not necessarily across all horror movies. It's kind of reserved for slashers. And this is more of like... Yeah, this is more so like a creature feature. This felt like a slasher to me. I mean, it it has some slasher qualities, but I wouldn't say it's as slasher-y as Halloween or anything like that. But yeah, for all intents and purposes, we can confirm that Bridget's pretty virginal. She's not pure by any means. She's very antagonistic and, <laughs> and, ups- resentful. <laughs> and resentful and upsetting. <laughs> but yes, in terms of the person we end up rooting for throughout the movie and the person who becomes our hero at the end, yes, I would say Bridget's the person that we are given her point of view throughout the movie. Okay. Interesting. Okay. 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 However, we know that she ain't pure because <laughs> we find them after the classroom scene. They're playing field hockey for gym class. They're looking at this girl, Trina, who's this popular blonde girl who you can tell that there's a history between her and the sisters like she's been mean to them before and Bridget calls her come buckety date bait oh
1: yes how can I forget the iconic insult come buckety date bait
0: yeah we got some uh slut shaming that in the early 2000s wasn't as offensive or mm-hmm. was more used for the comedic times than maybe it is right now but absolutely there's some heavy slut shaming in here especially on Bridget's part
1: of course I do have to say though on behalf of Trina I am obsessed with her look she has this medium long length scrunched 2000s hair with her lip gloss she looks exactly like I tried to look for the first like 23 years of my life. You scrunched your hair? Well, I used to perm my hair. That's not the same. But I would have to scrunch it to
0: style it. It is in a similar vein, a similar vein. It's better than people like me who have really thin, straight hair by design and scrunching it to the point where you have, look like you have fucking ramen noodles coming <laughs> off your fucking head like that. I think getting a perm is permissible, but <laughs> permissible. It, well, a perm is permissible because you're <laughs> committing to it, whereas otherwise you're spraying a fucking bottle of Garnier into your head and doing curls at <laughs> 5 a.m. So you could go to middle school with your different colored rubber bands on your braces and... I don't what know. What
1: can I say? Scrunched hair has a piece of my heart.
0: So they start playing field hockey, and you can tell that Trina has it out for both the sisters, and there ends up being a little push-pull confrontation where Trina pushes Bridget headfirst into a carcass of another dead dog that no one had seen on the field, the wide-open field. A wide-open sports field, and no one saw this gutted Carcass of this very large dog up until Bridget went face first into the corpse. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> it came out of nowhere. Coach, where were you? <laughs> <laughs> Coach, but sh- you let us down. Exactly. So Bridget ends up getting washed up. Ginger gets very vengeful and is like, I'll kill her for you. I'll do anything you want. So you're really starting to see that there's a lot of loyalty and maybe even codependency between these sisters because throughout all of these shots, you don't even see them separated. They're always next to each other. There isn't really any shots or space where they're not directly right next to each other. So even when Bridget is excused from gym class, Ginger follows her and you start to see them separate a little bit because Jason hits on Ginger and Ginger is stunned but still utters like, no, but it's after Bridget smacks her in the back and is like, what are you doing? Like, why are you considering this attention? And Jason in very early 2000s high school, bitch boy fashions, just like, oh, what a bitch, and then like moves on with his day.
1: Mm -hmm. So then we go home, we see a dinner scene, Ginger, Bridget, and their mom, Pam, and dad, does he have a name? No one cares. No no one cares. So they're sitting around the dinner table and Ginger is visibly uncomfortable. Her mom asks her, what's the deal with your back pain? It could be menstrual cramps. And apparently both of the girls are around three years past, you know, what seems normal to get your period.
0: Yeah, I would say 16. You you would be a late bloomer at that point.
1: Yeah. But anyway, so they seem like absolutely not. There is no way I'm getting my period. There's
0: a lot of funny dialogue around this where both the dad and the sisters are like, it's the dinner table. Why are you talking about this? So you get the impression that this topic has been off limits up until this point to the point where Ginger's even like, Maybe it's just spine cancer. (laughs) Like she would rather have spine cancer. And Bridget comes in. It's like, maybe it's spondylasia. It's when your spine fuses together. (laughs) They would prefer to be dying than get their period. And then what Bridget calls go average on each other.
1: But I am so obsessed with how the mom just brings this up at the dinner table. I think that that is so badass. Because I think that periods should be brought up at the dinner table. Personally, why
0: not? Not if you don't want your period. True. Also, I think it comes down to, like, yes, should the stigma around talking about your menstrual cycle be taken away? And should it not be this, like, sworn oath of secrecy that people in middle school just, you know, whisper to each other about and never out loud and only for sleepovers? Like, yes, that stigma should be taken away. But it's also, like, a very personal thing that when someone interrogates you about in a moment where you're not ready to talk about it, It produces a lot of shame, and I think that's something we're really seeing with Ginger and Bridget, because at this point, even the way that they are dressed, even the way that they characterize themselves is not feminine. They are dressed in loose, baggy clothing. Their hair is very undescript. It's just straight, long, nothing's done with it, no makeup. They don't want that level of attention into them this bodily change in this metamorphosis means that they are going to lose who they are comfortable with. So I think to them, it's just more terrifying than anything else. And this lack of conversation is their way to protect themselves from the inevitability that they're going to have to go through this.
1: That is such a good point. For sure, we do not see them being in control of this conversation, kind of at the mercy of their mom, of course, until they have
0: their witty comebacks about spine cancer and whatnot. So later that night, Ginger and Bridget are out on the town because Ginger wants to get Trina back for what she did to Bridget. And their idea is to steal Trina's dog. Yeah, they want to make it seem like
1: the beast of Bailey Downs.
0: Which is what we've come to find, the werewolf or the lycanthrope that's killing all the dogs. Mm
1: -hmm. They want to make it seem like that. Creature has gotten a hold of Trina's dog and killed it. So they don't actually want to kill the dog. And they don't, but they go out and they're looking for a carcass. And they do stumble upon one that they can use as a decoy carcass.
0: Right. And even as they're leading up to this carcass... You can tell that even though the sisters are very codependent on each other, Ginger still holds the power because you see Bridget trying to back out of it. And Ginger like whips around and it's like, this was your idea. I'm doing this for you. And you begin to see that even though you think that they're on the same page a lot of the time and they're on the same playing field, Ginger still inherently holds the power. And then even at dinner, there was some dialogue between the mom and Bridget, where Bridget goes to follow Ginger away from dinner. And she's like, you know, you're not attached at the hip. You don't have to follow her everywhere, right? So we are getting a lot of hints that it's not necessarily that they're dependent on each other, but Bridget is really idolizing her older sister. So pretty much right when they come across the carcass,
1: they bend down to take a look at it. And Bridget says to Ginger, it looks like you got some blood on you. We have the camera pan and we look and we see some blood running down ginger's leg and we know that she has gotten her period so her mother was right she was experiencing mental or mental cramps i mean those two am i right we're experiencing mental cramps we are oh my gosh but yeah so those menstrual cramps her first line
0: ginger says is b i just got the curse yes they refer to it as the curse (laughs) almost throughout the rest of the movie which as a person who menstruates i can't say i disagree And it is also pretty prophetic, right?
1: Because it does serve kind of as the catalyst of the events to come. And it really does seem like a curse.
0: As they're looking at this carcass and they're discussing the curse, you hear some rustling in the background. And this is where I wrote, Ginger snatched.
1: (laughs) She gets fucking dragged away like that i think i was looking at my laptop to type something all of a sudden i look back up and she was gone and screaming and being dragged through the woods behind this park that they were at
0: exactly so ginger gets dragged away supposedly from the beast of bailey downs and bridget goes running after her she can't really find her and then there's just a lot of choppy montage of ginger fighting this werewolf looking creature and bridget trying to bat it over the head with her camera And eventually, they're able to fight it off, and Bridget's able to help Ginger stumble home. While they are stumbling home, they cross the street, and the werewolf, or the lycanthrope, follows them out into the road, and this thing gets run over by a van. And the van belongs to a guy named Sam— Who we assume is college age, like he's out of high school at this point. The 21
1: year old who like still hangs around the high school campus and like sells weed to kids.
0: That's exactly what his character is. (laughs) (laughs) Very succinctly. And he runs over this werewolf. And as they're escaping, Sam finds the Polaroid that had fallen out of Bridget's camera of the werewolf. And he realizes that he just killed the beast of Bailey Downs or at least. A beast of Bailey mm, Downs. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm, for sure. They get home and obviously Bridget is really concerned about Ginger's wounds. I mean, this is a serious attack, but they soon find out that Ginger's wounds are already healing. So we learn pretty much right after the incident that Ginger has been
0: supernaturally affected by this. And what I found interesting about this scene too is it goes from hysteria on Bridget's part to Ginger comforting Bridget very quickly. Like Mm. it's almost like Ginger is still taking care of Bridget because Bridget is so afraid that Ginger's going to die without her and leave her by herself. So by the end of the scene, you see Ginger, who's just been mauled, sit up and hugging her little sister and be like, it's okay, I'm here, I'm okay, everything's okay, like very sweetly. And even when they're running out of the woods... Ginger's helping Bridget run. It's mm. like there's a lot of subtlety that Ginger has really done a lot to shelter her sister. And even in this time where Ginger has just been assaulted, she still has to be the one that does the comforting.
1: That's such an interesting dynamic for me because I don't have a sister. (laughs) I have an older brother and we do not have a codependent relationship by any means. I think we actually have a... Well, historically, we have a pretty distant relationship, which I think has gotten better as we've gotten older. But is that a relationship that like, as somebody with a sister, I mean, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, I do have a little sister and we are very close in age, like Bridget and Ginger are. I think it comes down to... I could see myself being in Ginger's position because I think that Bridget thinks that it's her fault that Mm -hmm. she got as hurt as she did. Mm -hmm. And it's like how you're always pitted against your sibling until like your mom or dad yells at your sibling and then your, your sibling's number one defender is just like, don't <laughs> yell <kill> at her. <laughs> yes. So I think it's one of those things where like even when my sister and I would quote unquote play fight with each other, if one of us hit the other one too hard and the other one started crying, we were immediately like, oh no, 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 no. Oh right. no, no, no. Partially because we didn't want to get in trouble, but partially because you kind of took on that role. And that's the thing, you're the younger sibling. I, yeah. I'm the oldest. Uh-huh. I have two siblings and I'm older than both of them. But I think there's just something instinctual when you see your sibling in distress, no matter what the situation is, it is your job to kind of rectify that.
1: I can totally see that for the older siblings perspective. I have so many memories as a little girl, seeing my brother get hurt or like fall and scrape his knee or something would break and he would cry and then I would cry. So yeah, well, I just cry frequently. You're sensitive. (laughs) But I do, I do remember that. So I guess as a little sister perspective, I can see how it would be kind of jarring for Bridget to see what was going on and, and need help from her sister to get through it, which seems kind of backwards, but it makes sense.
0: So then we get to another horror movie classroom scene where where they're talking about in class becomes very relevant to the plot. You find the sisters in a bio class and you see Bridget listening to their teacher and the teacher is talking about the invader that consumes the host and overcomes it and completely destroys it like a virus. And Bridget is obviously making that connection to whatever has bitten Ginger and Ginger is being taken over. And then you pan over to Ginger who's in the class and she just looks sick as hell And she does one of those classic high school slumps and just bangs her head on the desk as if she just passed out very comedically. And it got a big chuckle out of me. (laughs) It is, it is really- Just the way that that, there was that classic high school of like, oh, I'm so exasperated. I'm just going to bang my head on this desk. But it's not (laughs) because she hates being there. It's because she got bit by a fucking werewolf and she's being consumed by the virus. Yeah,
1: that's another thing too, like, There are some instances for any high school kid where they might just feel like on the surface, it might just look like they're tired and disinterested. But really underneath, you have no idea what the fuck is going on. Like she just got attacked by a motherfucking werewolf and nobody
0: would know. (laughs) And this is where a lot of good period comedy starts coming in, because then it cuts to a scene of Bridget staring at a wall of tampons and pads and not knowing what to do because she's trying to buy them for Ginger. So they end up picking one. And Bridget goes like, oh, yeah, this should help. I mean, they're just cramps, right? And Ginger goes, the words just and cramps don't go together.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so good.
0: Yes. And then in line at the pharmacy, they run into Jason. And Jason tries to woo Ginger by pretty much proving that he knows what a period is because he has three sisters. And He's like, I have three sisters and the way they always take the edge off is by having a toke. You want to come with me and you know, come smoke a little. It'll help take the edge off. She gets really flirty with him. And it's like, well, maybe I like my edge. And you see Bridget get really wide eyed and be like, what is she doing? Oh, my God. The moment when you see somebody so close to you
1: start to become a horny person, that is, oh, my gosh. I have like memories growing up and like. Seeing that happen with my friends and just being like, this is so fucking weird.
0: Especially if you are still a virgin or you are still quote unquote a virgin or you're just not as sexually experienced where your friends or the people around you are experiencing such what feels like irrevocable and primal urges and you're just kind of looking at them like you... Made up dances with me in my backyard in our (laughs) underwear like a year
1: ago. Who the fuck are you? Like you still have your brat dolls ready at hand in the closet and you're going to
0: be thinking about this? It does feel like so foreign and crazy. Ginger ends up going out and smoking weed with Jason in the back seat of the drug dealer's van. Bridget is outside of the drug dealer's van looking at the damage that had been done to the bumper due to him running over the lycanthrope. We introduce Sam talking to Bridget and I wrote down drug dealer and sudden werewolf expert. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a spiritual guy. He knows he's good with mysticism and legend. It seems this comes to a boil when Trina who we've gotten the hint has either slept with Sam before or is interested in Sam catches the sisters hanging out by his van sam realizes that they're smoking in his van he gets pissed kicks them out and trina's dog gets all feral and crazy barking and snarling at ginger which is an indication that whatever she has it can be sensed as evil Mm -hmm. and of course i love the line trina has she approaches bridget and says hey why don't you get your slut bitch sister a leash (laughs)
1: in true
0: 2000s fashion and then she yells to ginger why don't you stick to your own species fits so there's a lot of again a lot of slut shaming Mm -hmm. a lot of bitch 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 like a lot of so vile women hating women and not supporting other women none of that we don't have any of that
1: here except between sisters
0: Ginger runs away, runs into the school because she's afraid and Bridget runs after her and they're in the bathroom stall and you come to find out that the slits on Ginger's shoulder are now growing fur. Yes, yes. And so comes the line, I can't have a hairy chest bee, that's fucked. (laughs) (laughs) And at one point, I think they go to the nurse
1: Bridget finally convinces Ginger, like, let's go to the nurse. Let's tell somebody about this. But of course, everything they say sounds like it's normal. You know, they can say, "I'm growing hair in places where there wasn't hair before," or "I have really bad cramps." No, they're really bad. You know, and it's just the nurse is like, "Oh, you know, this is normal." Of course, there's a detailed diagram of a vagina behind them. It's a very like health class moment, and I thought that that moment was very humorous. Just them trying to explain no my sister is turning into a werewolf but having this nurse just like well everything's okay and in that moment you know you do really see a lot of similarities between getting your period and becoming a werewolf.
0: So leads back to a scene at home where I laughed so hard at this scene I don't know why but the mom is doing laundry and finds a pair of blood-soaked underwear which you're assuming is from the night that Ginger got attacked but I mean it also could just be period panties and it's one of those anybody who menstruates has had this experience where you get to the end of the day and you're like how the fuck did this happen or like (laughs) am I hemorrhaging do I need to go to the hospital but like a very very bloody pair of panties and you just see the mom cock her head to the side and get like the shout and just start spraying it so she could put it into the laundry machine as if it could be salvaged like no like you trash those at that
1: point But then that's how the mom does learn that Ginger does, in fact, gotten her period and she makes her a cake to celebrate, which is like some kind of cherry cake. So it looks a little bit unappetizing just because of its resemblance to actual blood. Of course, that creates some rising tension between the sisters, which we started to sort of get clued into. But Ginger thinks that Bridget told the mom that she got her period, but of course, we know it's that she found the literally ridiculously soaked pair of underwear.
0: So they storm off into a room that they share in the basement, and Ginger's mad at Bridget and accuses her of being jealous, and Bridget shoots back like, oh yeah, like I want to be hemorrhaging and sucking off Jason again, showing to be very resentful and realizing that Ginger is now acting out of character. It's not just what she's going through. It's not that just she has a curse, but she is changing her behavior in a way that is unfamiliar to her. And at this point, I wrote down, like, Bridget is committed to a lack of femininity. Like, she is rejecting all forms of puberty or all what comes seemingly natural with puberty, whereas Ginger seems to be embracing it a little bit more. So after this, Ginger storms off. You can tell she has a temper now. And I wrote, Q studying periods and werewolves timeline montage, <laughs> oh <my laughs> where God. you see Bridget reading books about menstrual cycles and then also making a calendar and reading about werewolf cycles and trying to like match up the days since Ginger has been bitten and the symptoms that she's experiencing. So she's it's almost like she's tracking her period or like tracking her cycle. And that's mm. something about this movie that makes it such a good metaphor is that werewolves come out with cycles of the moon Mm -hmm. and obviously menstrual cycles happen depending on your situation also in cycles and the moon has always been seen as the feminine i loved just the montage that (laughs) that occurred
1: that is such a good point how werewolves are very associated with the moon but the moon is so associated with femininity I feel like I'm really surprised that I haven't seen more comparisons to women and werewolves because they do seem really fundamentally similar. Not saying women are werewolves, but saying, damn, their existence certainly
0: relies on these cycles. Exactly. And then you start to see that Ginger is still changing. Like, even the next day, these changes seem to be rapid where she's showing off a little bit of cleavage. She's embracing her figure. And again, there's just an amazing scene where Ginger's walking down the hallway, you start to see that the front two strands of her hair are turning gray, like almost like the color of the fur of the lichen throat. And she's like slow motion strutting her stuff down the hallway while these boys are on looking. And then you see Bridget come into the frame <laughs> with the most bewildered look on her face. Like she's so concerned or so disgusted, but she just comes in. It's just like the sea of boys faces. And then Bridget floats into frame like Oh, my God, no.
1: Oh, my
0: gosh. And then, so I guess this is the point
1: where we see Ginger start to accept Jason's advances. And she goes up to him. She's very flirtatious. They end up leaving together, of course, much to Bridget's chagrin. She does not think it's a good idea for her sister to leave with Jason. But she does. And they go and cue
0: makeout sequence in a car. Something that I wanted to note about this is that, especially prior to this, you don't get the impression that Ginger has ever even kissed a boy at this point. I think that's something that is very common in movies like this, where there's a buildup to a first kiss, or that's like the crux of a movie. And you don't even really get that tenderness. It goes straight to a makeout session, straight to tonsil hockeying against a car. <laughs> that's such a good point.
1: There really is no buildup. It is zero
0: to 100. And then, yes, yeah, so Bridget comes up and is like, yeah, like, we need to talk. We need to talk. Why are you hanging out with Jason? And she goes to leave with Jason, to which Bridget screams at him, she's ovulating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. And then it's the car sex scene.
1: Yeah, so they're fiercely making out in the car. Ginger's topping Jason. She's in total control. And she is trying to advance this. You can tell that she wants to have a sexy time. Jason seems apprehensive. Ginger's pushing and he responds with, who's the guy here? Mm -hmm. And Ginger does not like that at all. She responds, I think, by repeating the question back to him. And then it looks like she might have eaten him. Well, she says
0: something about like, oh, you taste so good. And you Mm. could tell it's because she's getting a little thirsty for blood. But yeah, she gets very aggressive. And it's like, who's the guy here and pins him down and bites him in the chest. And I think we can assume that she rapes him at this point.
1: Like definitely assault, right? In a lot of different ways, like sexual, physical, like battery. I mean, like she basically beats him up. (laughs) And like we see him for the rest of the movie donning his wounds, even as he starts becoming a werewolf. But like... I don't really know if the movie intended it to be that way.
0: I almost think so. I think that sexuality, especially in the way that Jason had been expressing his sexuality, it's Mm. been very aggressive. It's been very hunter Mm -hmm. very like predatory almost. And the second that Ginger matches that energy and it gets too much for Jason, he starts like bowing out and backing down. But he says, yo, slow down. Or like, hey, just quit it. And she doesn't. So again, we don't really see what happens after she bites him, but he definitely plays it off that it was a consensual good time afterwards. Mm -hmm. He Mm -hmm. definitely is like, oh, Ginger Fitzgerald rocked my world. But before we see that, Ginger goes home and starts crying and Bridget starts comforting her because Bridget assumes that Jason had assaulted her. And this is where she has this really good quote about the aching that she's starting to feel with her werewolf urges.
1: Yeah. She says, I get this ache. I thought it was for sex, but it's to tear everything to fucking pieces. Same. (laughs) I mean, damn. What a line. I loved it. Yeah, we paused the movie and we just kind of sat there and looked at each other for a little bit.
0: Right. Because obviously, this is a reaction to what she's going through in terms of her budding lycanthropy. At this point, she's growing a tail as well, which also like, I have some thoughts about in terms of what that's supposed to be representing. But then it's also, I think, a way to give a nod to the gamut of emotions that anybody who menstruates feels in that time because as soon as she said that I'm like yo yeah sometimes when I'm PMSing I think I'm horny but no I just want to yeah it's almost like I want to kill something like Mm -hmm. I I just get so frustrated so angry and I think anybody any teenager who doesn't really know how to manage those emotions or are experiencing those hormones and emotions for the first time I'm like "Mm mm-hmm yeah sounds about right so after this it pans to a scene in the locker room where Bridget is helping ginger tape her tail to her leg (laughs) to make it look like there is not a bulge in her pants. And there's something about this very erect tail in the pelvic region that is almost a little hint to, I guess, what people with penises have to experience during puberty is not necessarily being able to control stiffies or having to almost hide certain emotions that one's experiencing or arousal that one's experiencing until this moment or until a little earlier when you said something about the
1: thoughts you had about the tale i did not even think of the tale as a fallacy and now that you brought that up i think that makes a lot of sense and it even makes ginger's rage make a lot of sense not that women can't experience rage but part of the reason women experienced so much like anger and such heightened emotions when they're menstruating is because there's like an increased flow of testosterone and and men have that testosterone and you know they start experiencing their own changes as they go through puberty and it seems like ginger is experiencing puberty not only through like with her
0: own body but almost as a man would too I think that this curse or I think that sexuality, at least in the realm of this movie, is being coded as masculine. So she is deriving all of her power and she legitimately, I guess, like has an erection. She is advancing sexually. She has all of this confidence And there's even a scene where when we see Jason, it's made evident that she has passed the curse on to him, that he also is becoming a lycanthrope. And Bridget goes to Ginger and is like, yeah, you gave it to Jason. And Ginger's just like, oops. There's like a lack of regard. And there's a little bit of machismo and confidence about, yeah, I fucked Jason and... Or like, he's got an issue, not my problem. And that's not to say that's how all men react in sexual situations. But I would say the high school male brain might not see themselves as accountable for what happens after sex, whether it be rumors, whether it be consequences. You kind of see that maturity level is being present in Ginger right now because she doesn't have self consciousness. Like, she's not experiencing some of these other things that she was experiencing previous to her sexual awakening.
1: And I also think that there's even a line, Bridget asks Ginger if she wore protection, and Ginger says no. Kind of going off of what you just said, Ginger seems to kind of have this lack of caring, which we don't see typically with women because they're the ones who would have to bear the results of a pregnancy. They're the ones who have visible proof of an illicit relationship. So seeing her say, no, he did not wear protection, not seeming to care. I just feel like that is giving off such masculine energy, which is so interesting. I This conversation is definitely, I I did not think of so many of these things as I was watching the movie, but now looking back,
0: (laughs) that's definitely there. It's interesting, too, because even though these rules are the ones that Ginger's making, she's not outside of, quote unquote, society's rules in the year 2000, where you see that Bridget's having a side conversation with Sam, because there starts to become a side plot where Sam is really chasing down Bridget because he wants to help her cure what's going on. Bridget's lied to Sam and said that she has gotten infected or that she got bit. And Sam, I guess, feels personally responsible because he was there that night and he knows what went down. He's a botanist. So he is trying to do research and come up with a cure, things of that nature. So there's a scene where Ginger I guess is talking to Jason and Bridget is talking to Sam and Trina goes around and is like, oh, those Fitz sisters are really getting around. But they've each had one dude each and Bridget and Sam aren't even doing anything. So there's still obviously a lot of double standards at play from the outside perspective, even though what's going on in the inside is completely different. And I also wrote down to the thought that you see Ginger really start pushing Bridget away very actively. And there's also a scene where the mom is really trying to talk to Ginger about her period. And Ginger's just pushing everyone away, pushing everyone away. And I was reflecting on this. And it's almost like she had relatively close bonds, at least with her sister, maybe not her mom prior to getting her period. But it's almost something like female friendships are so sisterly and close up until you start getting to a point where it's almost like a rat race of who's maturing quicker or who's experiencing things first. And you stop accepting comfort from other women. At least in my experience, you kind of just start pushing away and isolating yourself a little bit more. And that level of companionship is so much harder to achieve because inherently, there's a disbalance because people are maturing at their own rates. And it becomes such like a self-conscious competition that you see Ginger doing that as she's pushing all of the women out of her life in favor of this male attention.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Kind of going back to that relationship that is beginning between Sam and Bridget, we do see Trina approach Bridget about this relationship. And Shay had kind of alluded to the fact that it seems like there is some sort of past relationship or some chemistry that lingers still between sam and trina trina says a line he's a cherry hound he's into virgins and she says this to bridget i guess as an attempt to maybe intimidate her but at the same time like there are some moments where we see trina have some moments of vulnerability and even though this is sort of cloaked in in what's meant to be a hurtful insult or at least a hurtful comment it is sort of a line that even though we never see Trina really looking out for anybody, it is something that does carry with it like a sort of warning. And we don't really ever see Sam portrayed as
0: predatory. The only thing about it is, and again, this might have just been a different time type of thing, but yeah, he's presumably somewhere between 19 and 22 years old and hanging out with high schoolers all the time. So there's some inherent, obviously, age balance there. But yeah, we aren't given the impression that Sam doesn't have anything but pure intentions. But we do get a line from Trina that's just like, someone shouldn't give that fucker that satisfaction, you know, what he did to me. And you really get the impression that she was either taken advantage of or that she was heartbroken. And this conversation is occurring actually at their house Mm -hmm. because Trina comes by Because she thinks that the Fitz sisters had stolen her dog. And there is a scene that shows that her dog has since been killed by Mm -hmm. some monster. And we don't know that it's Ginger or that Ginger did it, but it was killed at some point. And she comes by to, I guess, confront Bridget and be like, where's my dog? Where's my dog? And this is where Ginger goes a little wild and... Grabs her, puts her in a headlock, drags her inside the house and pretty much starts beating her up because of what Trina had done to Bridget previously.
1: Right. And then that theme of sort of sister protecting sister comes into play again, even though Bridget wasn't asking Ginger to do that on her behalf. Ginger really takes it upon herself to do that protecting.
0: It's not even that Ginger's really doing this in protection of Bridget. She's doing it in retaliation of Bridget because there's a line where she says, you picked Sam over me. Whatever happens next is your fault. Mm. That is so toxic. It really is. And there's a lot to be said about their relationship and how codependent it is, how toxic it is. But this is where you're really starting to see that there is intense jealousy on both sides of what is happening here.
1: And I feel like somewhere around this point, and I remember saying this to you after we watched the movie, but this is where it starts to change from being a metaphor about puberty to almost being a metaphor about relationships, especially toxic relationships. Back to the house where Trina is now standing inside. We have Ginger and Bridget and Trina in the kitchen. I don't even know what happens. Something happens. All of a sudden, Trina slips on spilt milk and cracks her head on the corner of the island and dies.
0: I will say, I mean, she was really worked up because Ginger was choking her, was really really assaulting her to the point where Trina vomits. Like she's so anxious. Oh, yeah, she does. Vomit. And she's so to the point where she even grabs a knife to defend herself. Yeah. And she ends up stepping back and yes, cracking her head open. And yeah, she dies on their kitchen floor. And so follows a very darkly comedic scene of them covering up the murder or not not the murder, of the death while their parents are coming home at the same time.
1: Yeah, so we don't know how they're going to pull this off as the parents walk into the house, but we see, you know, the camera pans, follows the mom and dad walking in the house, and then as they walk into the kitchen, we see Bridget taking a picture of Ginger as if they're doing another death photo scene for extra credit, laying in Trina's blood, which is funny as a callback to the crazy photo shoot that they had in the beginning of the film. Shortly, the mother, she goes into, I guess maybe the garage. They have a freezer there. She's going to put some meat in there she had purchased at the store. But that's where we find out Trina's body is currently hiding out. So Bridget distracts her mother from opening the freezer by saying, Mom, what do guys want? (laughs) And the mother is elated that her daughter, her closed off very, quote unquote, anti-feminine daughter is asking her what guys want. She's so excited. She closes the freezer. She takes her daughters into the living room and sits them down and she tells them what guys want. And we don't get a, an indication as to how long that lasts or as what she says. But we do know when the conversation is over, the girls go back, open the freezer, and Trina's body is totally frozen. So the conversation must have lasted a very long time for her body to
0: be in that state by the time they're able to return to it we get a montage of Ginger kind of vacillating between a lot of different moods. And I wrote down she vacillates between being lethargic, emo, weepy, pissy, PMS. Like even through her little werewolf virus, she is still kind of exhibiting all of the different hormones and emotions that kind of comes typical with the territory. And you also see the next day at school jason is going through his own transformation because i think at least it was you who pointed out oh he has acne yeah
1: they were more like bumps i think it was like a vague suggestion of acne but it's something that we didn't see on ginger i wonder if that was sort of to maintain her sort of physical integrity to keep her on this track of becoming more attractive that we see her going on but yeah i mean jason is experiencing some acne
0: for sure Yeah, it's almost like he's going through his own form of puberty because he corners Bridget in the closet and is like, where's your sister? She's avoiding me. I killed my dog last night. What's going on? What did she give me? And you see that Bridget gets saved by this elderly custodian who becomes a little more pertinent later in the film. Ginger's becoming more and more unhinged as time goes on. And you see her enter the school. She is now has like half gray hair because the virus is like taking over, taking over. And she goes up to Jason's friends and is like, Oh, is Jason avoiding me? And I kind of like that there was like, well, you tell her that I want, I'm looking for him and you tell him that I'm looking for her. <laughs> um, high school bullshit. She goes and asks if they're going to be at a party later this evening. And she's like, Oh, there's going to be prizes. Maybe you'll win. And she flashes them. And you just start to see she's becoming obviously reckless, but she does that as the guidance counselor walks by and the guidance counselor is like, in my office, we got to go talk. And Bridget happens upon her in the guidance counselor and Ginger has murdered the guidance counselor has eaten him. Yeah. Pretty intense, for sure.
1: Bridget quickly tries to remedy the situation. She tells Ginger to stay put. She's going to go find something to clean up the mess with. So they wait till the school empties out. Bridget leaves. She finds the custodian's mop. She comes back, but only after Ginger has already gotten to the custodian.
0: Yes. The custodian stumbles down the hallway. He's not quite dead yet. And Ginger really starts taunting him. He starts like taking his arms and making his hands squeeze and is just like, I like little girls, like really making him out to be a pedophile or something. And we have no indication that's how he feels. He just seems like a very nice old man. Mm-hmm. And is like, well, I don't like the way he looks at you and, and starts assaulting him and throws him against the lockers and really starts throwing him around and beating him up. She has also kind of replicated this language with Sam, where she's been very jealous and territorial of Sam and just says that Sam only wants to get into Bridget's pants, that he doesn't care about her. So again, you're really seeing this toxicity really blend out. And Ginger, she has this really great monologue. Yeah. And I think you wrote it down. I did. I wrote the
1: whole thing down. So she says, and this is after she kills the custodian as well. She says, it's like touching yourself, you know, every move right on the dot And after, you see fucking fireworks, supernovas. I'm a goddamn force of nature.
0: I feel like I could do anything. We're almost not even related anymore. And this is very significant because when Trina dies earlier in the film, Bridget asks Ginger, are you going to eat her or something? And she says, no, that'd be like fucking her. So you really start to see that Ginger at this point has only really bitten or tried to eat other men. It's a very sexual thing for her. But this is getting so very dark that Ginger is looking at her sister. I read a really great article that kind of talks about how their relationship is a little incestuous. And this is really kind of hinting at that, too, where she says... You know, it's almost like we're not even related anymore. We can just swap some liquids and build another pack together. And again, she's kind of luring over Bridget. She's taunting Bridget while this is happening. Bridget's kind of like on the ground crawling away and Ginger's looming over her in a very threatening manner and talking about swapping liquids and how they're not even related. And it is very suggestive. And it, yeah, it gets really, really weird. <laughs>
1: yeah, it is. It is really, really weird. And we also learn about a potential cure, which is going to come into play at the Halloween party, which is also at the greenhouse where Sam grows his marijuana and other plants. But it's monkshood. And I did a little research on monkshood, actually. And it's also called Wolfsbane. Yeah, so I kind of appreciate how this movie actually used a plant that has a long history of being associated with warding off werewolves. So basically, what Bridget finds out she needs to do is take this monk's hood and somehow inject it into her sister. But the only thing is, they don't know if the dose is going to be enough to help her or kill her. And that's actually accurate as well. Monkshood is known as a kind of poison. So even though it kind of also has a history in the 1700s of being used for medicinal purposes, the dosage here is a lot. I mean, it's literally a big-ass syringe full. So then we have the question of, well, do I risk it? Do I try to save my sister? Or is she going to die?
0: And you see this sense of urgency where Bridget is running to the greenhouse because Bridget, I think, was either... Knocked out or incapacitated at some point, but either way, Ginger makes it to this greenhouse party before Bridget does, and you see she is in full on transformation mode. Like her eyes and nose are really misshapen to look very dog-like. Her hair is completely white at this point. Her chest has a lot of muscle on it. Her rib cage is really pronounced, and she is really starting to look very non-human. But it's a Halloween party. So no one's really looking at it. And she is trying to seduce Sam. And while this is happening, the mom finds Bridget running on the side of the road trying to get to this greenhouse party where the mom tells her that she knows that they killed Trina. And listen, let's just burn the house down and we'll run away just us (laughs) three girls like, and this is something about the mom's character. We haven't really talked about her that much. But she's been characterized that she very much wants to be this cool mom at the expense of her holding her daughters accountable. She will do anything to be the cool mom. She will do anything to have her daughter's love and acceptance. And the father's calling her out the entire film Mm -hmm. about this. No, you need to correct their behavior. No, what they're doing is sick or what their interests are aren't good for them. But she is so uncompromising to really like put a heavy hand that you're and you're really seeing that now. I mean, I'm not a mother. I can't say that I wouldn't try to cover up for my kid if they murdered somebody but (laughs) she is taking it to the extreme definitely
1: so before this whole montage one of the reasons that bridget so desperately needs to get back to the greenhouse is because she has used the syringe Mm but not on Ginger. She has come across Jason in a field trying to assault a little boy. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is significant because the whole movie, when we are following Ginger and her transformation and the people that she goes after, she goes after boys her own age or men, like the teacher and the custodian. I think Mm -hmm. it's very interesting that we see Jason going after a little boy. We don't see children victimized in any other scene throughout this movie except the one where
0: Jason is. It's also interesting because the kid is dressed like a dog for Halloween. Oh, I didn't even notice that. So it might have been that like he was sticking to his dog theme or he maybe just, you know, got the blinders on and something like that. But yeah, I mean, it obviously could be saying something larger too about Mm -hmm. dynamics of power. And
1: especially if he experienced assault himself from Ginger. Is it a commentary on the cycle of assault or an abuse? I don't know. But I thought that stood out to me. I thought it was interesting.
0: So Bridget arrives at the greenhouse to find the aftermath of Sam and Ginger hooking up for a little bit. Sam gives in to Ginger for a minute and then kind of pushes her off of him. Bridget walks in on them and Bridget ends up grabbing a knife and redoing their blood oath where she cuts her own hand and then Ginger's hand and it says like, "Listen, we're in this together now." She pretty much infects herself with this virus to kind of get Ginger to trust her. And she does for a minute. They go walking through the party together. They leave Sam where he is. And she almost convinces Ginger, yes, come home. The cure's at home. Let's just do this together. We can be okay together again. But Sam misreads the situation and knocks Ginger out. And they end up driving Ginger back to Ginger and Bridget's house in the van as more of a captive than as a participant But during this car ride, we see Ginger go from humanoid to 100% werewolf.
1: Mm -hmm. So by the time they get there um, and open the back door, Ginger hits them both or I don't know what she does, but she makes it into the house and she runs rampant throughout the house. And we just see Bridget say the cure is in there. So they have to go in the house. They have to try to go in to see if they can get the cure and fix what's going on with Ginger.
0: So they end up getting the antidote and Sam and Bridget end up in a closet together, which I also thought was a little funny. Yeah. Um, Like they were locked like seven minutes in heaven or whatever. And they even
1: had some dialogue that seemed suggestive. Like in the pantry, it said, how about you take this and blow? Just like some other things. But also they were talking about a syringe and kind of thinking about our conversation
0: from Halloween. I was like, are syringes phallic? I think so. Okay. I mean, if anything, you're injecting a liquid.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's true.
0: Interesting about the antidote, Bridget, even though there's plenty, Bridget refuses to take the antidote before she gives it to Ginger, which again is really showing that lack of regard for herself because it's like the plain scenario, right? Where you see somebody who doesn't really have a lot of self-worth, you ask them, you and the person next to you need to put an oxygen mask on. Who do you put it on first? You always have to put it on yourself because if you don't, you don't have the opportunity to help anybody else, but if you have somebody who doesn't have a lot of regard for themselves that they'll never put it on themselves first we're still really seeing that in spite of all of these things in spite of the anger that Bridget's feeling toward Ginger which she's really actually starting to allow herself to do because in the greenhouse she yells at Ginger and is like you ruined everything about me that wasn't about you and you're really starting to see that mm-hmm. she realizes that she has built her entire identity around her sister but even in this moment she still refuses to put herself first
1: but he's the first to leave the pantry because, you know, Bridget is hurt. You know, her hand hurt. She says at one point I'm starting to lose feeling in my hand, but he's quickly beat up. There's a scene from Bridget's perspective. She's in the pantry. She sees as the door is slammed against again and again and again with what we can assume is Sam's body. And then he's dragged away. So she eventually gets the courage to leave. And she follows a trail of blood all the way down to
0: the basement. She follows down. She ends up dropping the antidote behind the stairs, which she considers going to get and pick up, which you were not happy that she did not pick the antidote up from behind the stairs. Well,
1: yeah, she hears Sam and goes after him right away. And I was frustrated because I was like, girlfriend. You know that where you're going to find him, you're going to find your sister. You're going to need that anecdote. And again, it would have taken her a second to get the anecdote. It had fallen down the stairs and the stairs were those kind of like hollow steps that didn't have a back.
0: Oh my God, the worst kind of stairs.
1: Literally so awful. So that's how the syringe kind of falls behind them. She would have had to kind of like wiggle behind, get her syringe and then leave. But again, kind of going back to what you said, Shay, about like her being so concerned with everybody else, like she goes into this situation completely unarmed. But then she does something that I think isn't interesting
0: yeah i would say this is the darkest part of the movie you see that sam is panting heavily and having almost a panic attack against the wall he's very bloodied and ginger in her full wolf form is sitting next to sam and almost sitting there waiting for bridget to be there almost like an offering that's the way i looked at it where she's like look i kept him alive for you come over here so bridget crawls over to them and bridget starts eating Sam's blood with Ginger.
1: And this lasts maybe a handful or two before Bridget throws up.
0: And it becomes obvious to Ginger that it's not going to work, that Bridget isn't going to come to her side of things. And I think Bridget even says, I tried for you. I can't do it. I can't do it. I won't do this. I won't do this. Because it's very uncertain that when Bridget starts eating, if it's in spite of herself or not, because... Obviously, she had just gotten infected, so that hunger shouldn't have been heightened if we were following Ginger's way of things. But if we're following that logic, Bridget didn't want to do it, but she again chose her sister over Sam and was like, no, I want to be with you any way I can, and it's not until... She is really dehumanized that she's like, you know what? No, we're Mm -hmm. we're not the same anymore.
1: And also her body physically rejecting the attempt to be close with her sister, to be one with her sister. And Ginger seeing that and so commence the chase sequence, which I think was super long. I don't know if you thought it was long. I thought it was a really long chase sequence around the basement.
0: Yeah, So Bridget ends up running away back under the stairs where the antidote is, and Ginger is kind of going through these slats in the wall and trying to bite at her, trying to bite at her, and she's not reaching, it's not working. So Bridget ends up kicking a hole in the wall that leads back to their bedroom, where she's armed. One hand is a knife, and the other hand is the syringe. And she's looking about, looking about, Ginger enters, and Bridget tries calming her down, talking her down, being like, it's me, it's me, and it's not working. Ginger starts getting really aggressive. And she essentially screams, I'm not dying. And that breaks that oath that they made. It breaks that promise that they made to each other because she refuses to die with her. So Ginger ends up attacking Bridget and falls on the knife. Yes. And
1: it is like this moment where you see after she falls on the knife and falls to the floor, you kind of see Bridget like look down to her hand where the knife was and then look to the other hand where the syringe was. When you're attacked and somebody comes at you, you don't know where they're going to land. You don't know where that's going to be. But it was this moment of Did Bridget decide at any point what she was going to stab her sister with? I felt frustrated because that moment where Bridget had that temporary shelter under the stairs, I thought that that would have been the perfect time to stick her sister with the syringe. I mean, her sister's shoulders at this point were too broad to fit through like the supports under the stairs. So like she, in theory, of course, in theory, would have been restrained enough so that her sister could stick her with a solution, but she doesn't. I mean, is it fear? Is it a choice? Is it? just a survival instinct telling you to run away instead of stick your sister. But I don't know. For me, it was like, was this intentional? And I mean, that dialogue, I'm not going to die with you. Did she make the choice to let her sister die without her instead of trying to save her sister? Do we finally see this break from this codependent relationship where Bridget's constantly trying to save and protect Ginger?
0: I think that's what we're supposed to get out of it. But then I did read something somewhere. I think it was the Wikipedia that said that Ginger allows Bridget to kill her. So almost Ginger Mm -hmm. falls on the knife because she realizes that Bridget is not going to join her in this journey. And she's kind of keeping up her end of the deal where if she can't be with her and they can't be together, then she doesn't want it anymore. Throughout the movie, you kind of get the theme that Ginger thinks that Bridget is jealous of her. But Kind of in a way of you'll understand when you get here, you'll understand when it happens to you. And I think that she was just waiting and waiting and waiting for Bridget to see it her way. And that betrayal with her throwing up the blood was kind of the last straw of, oh, we're really never gonna be okay again, are we? So I found this really great article entitled Something's Wrong Like More Than You Being Female, which is a quote from the film, Transgressive Sexuality and Discourses of Reproduction in Ginger Snaps by Bianca Nielsen. And this was just a great gender critique and analysis of this film. And there's this really great quote that she closes it out with that kind of recounts the motivations behind Ginger's death. So it goes, Although Ginger's menstruation epitomizes all that is about femininity, Bridget realizes that Ginger's true objection is that transformation is making her behave like a man. Bridget primarily kills her sister because she disapproves of her behavior and thinks Ginger's aggression has gone too far. Despite her own sexual inexperience, Bridget eventually develops an understanding of the gendered binaries that are in operation of her small town and kills Ginger partly to protect her from the ostracism and vilification she would suffer as a result of her transgressions. Ginger is also dealt this phallic punishment because she denies the importance of her relationship with her sister. Bridget does not simply feel abandoned because she is jealous of her sister's burgeoning sexual maturity, but also because Ginger is spending time with boys and ignoring the importance of sisterhood. However, Bridget herself rejects the sisterly bond by killing Ginger after her transformation into an animal is complete. When Bridget murders Ginger, she acknowledges all that is untenable about their sisterly bond, that their desire for an isolated and exclusive relationship with one another is somewhat incestuous. Whoa.
1: i <sighs> just like, there is, that's, I just, wow, I mean, and this, kind of going back to like this podcast and what this podcast is, I mean, I just... I'm so intrigued. I feel like already I've started to learn so much about horror and the people who study it and explore it. I mean, these are scholarly sources that exist, people analyzing these films, finding these representations of gender and relationships, and that's just so... Interesting to me. I mean, I don't have complete thoughts formed. I feel like I need to sit with that for a little bit because it is so layered. Yeah, that's a great
0: source. I'm going to link the article in this episode's information just in case anyone wants to read it, but it's a really great read. And it's a reason that this film has become a cult classic because again, this is one of those films that you're not going to see this on the Mount Rushmore of best horror movies because horror movie fandom is usually made up by men whereas this like other amazing films like the craft and jennifer's body which are some great films that we want to give justice to and do all the research we can before we cover them but it's movies like this that really looked at horror movie fans and like this one's for the ladies (laughs) you know yeah for sure but yeah that's ginger snaps such a good one such
1: a good one. Do you have any closing thoughts?
0: Just that. So there is a prequel and a sequel. There is Ginger Snap's Unleashed, which is a sequel. Oh my. And then Ginger Snap's Back, which is the prequel. Oh. Where you kind of learn a little bit more about the origins of the lycanthropy and the sequel sees Bridget dealing with her own infection and how she starts navigating that. I would say that both of these do not obviously match up to the pedigree that this one does. But they're both silly horror movie watches that if you really liked this, you might like those two. And obviously, the two main actresses in this, Catherine Isabel and Emily Perkins do a great job and just portraying an awesome sisterhood, and just teen angst. I was saying to Elise that these two characters, like she was laughing at them and being like, Oh, my God, these two are ridiculous. I'm like, No, this was me in middle school. (laughs) (laughs) Not to that degree where I'm, you know, posing for post-mortem photos shoots, but still, like, the amount of angst and hate that these two had was just so relatable as a former emo kid. <laughs> oh
1: my gosh. I can appreciate, though, like, the way that the film kind of makes you fall in love with them, with the comedy it gives and the interesting peeks into their lives and their styles it gives, but then, of course, it makes that sort of decline and, you know, fall from the sisterhood that much more upsetting and that much more impactful. So I think that, that was really well done in that regard, how it really does go from something... So so lighthearted and funny, despite taking death pictures (laughs) in your neighborhood, to something so real.
0: So next week, we're doing something a little different. Yes, I am so excited.
1: In honor of the November slash Thanksgiving season, we are going to be taking a look at some horror movies that feature Puritan ladies.
0: (laughs) Spelled pure. Puritan ladies.
1: This is my shit. I don't know if it's because I've taught Puritan texts as a teacher or, you know, if I've always been interested because I do love a historical lens on things. I am so excited to take a look at some of the films and representations we're going to see. Yeah, I'm excited.
0: Yeah, it's not going to be like a typical episode where we unpack the plot. There's going to be a couple movies that we're going to be talking about, none of which amazingly at length, but really just studying the, the patterns between all these different films. So if you want to have a better idea of films we're going to be talking about, your homework is to watch things like The Witch and The Village and The Crucible.
1: <laughs>
0: yes. So that's your homework to stay up to date with
1: us. Also, feel free to email us at thehorrors at com, And that's thehorrors, W-H-O-R-R-O-R-S, podcast at gmail.com you can also find us on instagram at the horrors podcast and now on twitter at the horrors podcast so there are your options folks
0: for getting in touch with us we appreciate y'all being here and we'll see you next time see ya bye